0: Bum 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 bum. Bum 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 bumb. Bum 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 ». You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullikson.
1: I'm Brad Gullickson. And
0: each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. I hear wedding bells. In this episode, we're walking down the aisle. Right together. Left
1: together. Right I never got that right.
0: With Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance in Green Arrow, Black Canary series, written by Judd Winnick and illustrated by Cliff Chang and Mike Norton, and we're applying the relationship book for new couples, Proven Strategies to Nurture Your Connection and Build a Long-Lasting Bond by Megan Lundgren, LMFNT, to their relationship woes.
1: Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Going Going to to the the chapel chapel and we're... Gonna get married, G. I really love you, and we're gonna get married. Going to the chapel of
0: love. <laughs> I would have done the upper harmony, but th- we did enough takes to uh, make it so that uh, it would ruin our marriage if yeah, I tried
1: to do. Two Lisa parts really me. wants me to become a singer with her, and guys, as you can tell, I am not one. And I so think that's, that's what you're dismissive. gonna get from. Everybody is a
0: singer, Brad.
1: Yeah, I just proved it. I could say some words in a sing-song-like fashion. That was totally singing and it was adorable. Harmonize. I know. Ah, this is our final Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance episode. And it's a wedding episode at that. Gosh, like how many comic book weddings have we actually covered on this podcast so far?
0: Well, uh, Scott and Gene.
1: Yeah. Uh, we saw a very close call between Kitty and Colossus. That's right. That then turned into a wedding for Gambit and Rogue. We also covered the wedding that didn't happen between Batman and Catwoman. Any others? Uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane. Spider-Man and Sue Mary Storm Jane. Storm and Reed Richards. Of course. Swampy of course.
0: and Abby. Did they get married? I mean,
1: I they, they didn't have like a traditional matrimony. But I think once you eat of the Swamp Thing, you're bonded for life.
0: Well there are lots of ways that two people can deepen their commitment. That's not like a traditional wedding ceremony. And committed relationships can be different things to different people. Like when we when we're talking about marriage, we mean two people who have a long-term plan for building a life together. Well,
1: I also think that we're talking about the legal function too, mm. especially in the weddings that we just discussed.
0: So do you think Swampy and Abby had to file taxes together?
1: Uh, 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 no, I don't, think, I don't think any taxes are getting paid down to Louisiana, no, not at all. <laughs> and then, you know, we've covered lots of relationships that don't have a wedding as an end result on this podcast, but I wouldn't consider any of them invalid. But I do think within the pop culture landscape, wedding episodes hold significance and i am kind of curious like when you encountered you know the chandler monica wedding in friends was that a big deal when you would hit those sitcom weddings were those ever like events for you as a consumer
0: i think the most significant pop culture marriage to me was Maria and Luis getting married on oh, Sesame Street. Yeah. I was one of those children who who believed that they were a real couple. I don't think that I was naive enough to think that uh, they lived on Sesame Street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I thought that they were a nice married couple who worked together on this TV show. And I was... Shocked that I had not actually witnessed their real wedding ceremony.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, for me, like, I never really dug the sitcom weddings. They were, and those episodes tended to be like so after school, specially anyway. They always felt a little forced. However, in comic books, I mean, we discussed it in our first episode. I was very invested in the relationship between Scott Summers and Jean Grey. And I was invested in the relationship of Peter Parker and Mary Jane, but forever couples don't work in comics. Comics do not do forever, right? And even though my entire childhood, those characters were married, eventually Joe cassada has gotta come around and shake things up and destroy that relationship.
0: I think that will they, won't they being so part of the DNA of comics, like when a couple does actually get married, it does validate how you feel things should be. Even though we know that there's gonna be some kind of rip in time or there's going to be some kind of, oh no, he was a clone, <laughs> like
1: whatever. But I do think, especially in the case of Green Arrow and Black Canary, Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance, a wedding moment is a very different moment than what we got in X-Men 30 between Scott and Jean, right?
0: To me- Dinah Lance and Oliver Queen is a marker of true change in their relationship Mm. because the idea of marriage was once so incendiary for them. If we think back to the bedroom scene back in Sherwood Florist. in
1: the longbow hunters.
0: In bed, Oliver Queen proposes to Dinah saying that he wants to start a family with her. He wants children. He wants some kind of evolution in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And for him... Deepening their commitment means starting a family with babies. Right. And Dinah says, no, thank you. Because she, at that point, didn't want their relationship to look any different. She felt like, you're doing your vigilante thing. I'm doing my vigilante thing. We have a place to come together. But I'm in no way actually committed to running any of my decisions by you. We know how she is about her autonomy. Right. The, the second she feels like she's being held or controlled anyway, she rebels against it. And we're never going to forget the line like, Oliver, I won't make orphans. Oh, man. But I think um, this, like, one of my obsessions with Oliver Queen is how tightly he spirals through infidelity mm-hmm. and then yes. he dies and then he yes. comes back it's a clean slate and then infidelity and he dies again and but to me this is the first time where we go like their usness is coming together his desire to create a family and her desire to not create children has created a a path for them to be together and create this usness that honors both of their individuality. Oh man,
1: well let's not let's not get too far ahead of us. We've got so much to discuss this week. And if you are joining us for the first time because you're excited about the Green Arrow Black Canary wedding and the following limited series, well guess what? Good news. We've recorded three other episodes devoted to Oliver and Dinah, and you can find links to them in the show notes. Yes, we covered the Longbow Hunters. Yes, we covered the Denny O'Neill run of Green Arrow, Green Lantern, as well as Denny O'Neill's take on the Justice League of America, where they first met. And our last Oliver-Dinah episode was Kevin Smith and Phil Hester's Green Arrow Quiver, which offered lots of juicy material to dissect. And considering that really Lisa and I had no relationship with these two characters before recording these four episodes, it's wild to me how much I love them now. Mm -hmm. And they feel like, uh, like one of the most interesting couples that we've covered in the three years of doing this podcast. And it's because their romance is so ugly and messy uh, that I'm so invested in whether they make it or not. And I don't know if I want them to make it or not.
0: I definitely think that Dinah Lance can do better.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Most can.
0: I've also really come to appreciate Megan Lundgren as our love expert because she like Oliver Queen, likes to have a lot of tools and a lot of options. This book, the relationship book for new couples is literally like a quiver of trick (laughs) arrows to get you any out of out of any sticky situation in your relationship. And I think that one of the things that has been limiting for Dinah Lance and Oliver Queen is that they did they don't have a a lot of tools, you know what I mean? To make their communication better and to bring each other closer and to overcome some of those barriers that have been nurtured into them over their lifespan. So
1: you're saying that if they actually took the time to read Lundgren and maybe use these tools, they would get a lot out of it. There'd be a lot of benefit to what Lundgren has to offer.
0: Like many couples, their number one fear is having that tough conversation. Especially back in the longbow hunters, the second they would tiptoe up to having yeah. a real heart-to-heart, it would flame out right away. Or both they
1: and- would be distracted by something. And that happened a lot in Quiver. The yeah, Smith
0: that's book. definitely true. But I think they um were always afraid that 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 conversation, the tough conversation, was always going to result in the dissolution of their relationship.
1: Right, and I do think that that is extremely relatable. I often think about how sometimes we'll get into an argument and we'll wanna resolve it, but uh, I gotta go to work or you gotta go to work, and then you have to wait a day to get back to that conversation, and maybe by that time, you don't wanna get to that conversation, so you delay any progress around that issue.
0: But we do have the luxury of knowing that we're gonna have tough conversations, we are going to cry, and we are going to raise our voices, and we're gonna lose our tempers. And we're gonna
1: do that all on a podcast.
0: (laughs) But, On the other side of that, we're still together. And I think that's part of the function of deepening a relationship by getting married or eating a tuber, you know? (laughs) Just having that assurance that- The
1: person's not gonna leave you, betray you. Exactly,
0: exactly. And I think that Dinah and Oliver have been through so much leading up to their shared series. And I think that they're in this place where they go like- okay, we're ready to now presume that we're going to be together after a fight. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what allows them to evolve.
1: Yeah, and I guess Dinah's thinking like, well, Ollie can't possibly betray me another time. (laughs) (laughs) But before we can get into session, we got to put Dinah and Ollie in the waiting room. We got to discuss a little context. A lot has gone on since Quiver within their relationship, and I want to talk about it. Uh, so basically, like when we last left Ollie and Dinah in Green Arrow Quiver, Oliver was recently resurrected by Green Lantern and reunited with his soul. It's complicated. <laughs> Please go listen to that episode if you don't know the whole story, because it is a big, weird story. Filmmaker Kevin Smith left the book, and novelist Brad Meltzer joined. I read those issues and they were pretty decent, but most importantly, that run revealed that Oliver was actually present at Connor Hawke's birth, his son.
0: Whoa, 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 what? Meaning that
1: he knew about the kid all along and chose not to be his father. Cause as we know, Oliver Queen was, and still kind of is a selfish jerk. But in 2004, Judd Winnick took over the comic from Meltzer. And I don't know about you, Lisa, but I first became aware of Winnick because he was a cast member on MTV's The Real World San Francisco, which I think was the third season. Lisa, did you watch The Real World? You probably weren't allowed, were you? Uh,
0: absolutely not. That <laughs> was, MTV was the one channel we had blocked by our cable box.
1: Oh man, I learned so much from The Real World. Uh, yeah, a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, but uh, Winnick was a wannabe cartoonist who befriended AIDS activist Pedro Zamora on the show. And after that series ended, Pedro passed, and Judd would go on to detail his friendship with Pedro in the graphic novel, Pedro and Me, And in preparation for this episode, I finally read that comic, and not only was I struck by how powerful it was, but how perfectly suited it was as an educational and emotional tool, it's a perfect book for comic book couples counseling, Mm. and it would be fun slash thought provoking to explore at some point in the future. Winnick's cartooning is simple but effective. There's so much acting on his character's faces, and the comic both demystifies and celebrates Pedro as an individual. It's just like this epically human comic and... Like, I loved it, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I think Lisa will really like this book. Yay. Uh, Anyway, uh, from that book, Winnick found his way into writing cartoons and superhero comics. He did the Batman story Under the Red Hood, which resurrected former Robin Jason Todd back into the DC universe, and I was so into that book at the time. It was also in that moment where Bucky came back as the Winter Soldier, and there was all this controversy like, what, Bucky and Jason Todd, they're supposed to be dead, but then they come back and you're like, nope, they're rad, this is really (laughs) cool, so glad that they are back. Uh, And even before Green Arrow, Winnick went on and did a short run on Green Lantern, which I haven't read, but I probably should do that too. But in his Green Arrow run, before Green Arrow, Black Canary, we gotta discuss a few things that he contributed to the mythology. One, he made the teen hanger-on character created by Kevin Smith, Mia Dearden, the new Speedy, the sidekick position formerly held by Roy Harper, and he revealed that she was HIV positive. Through her, he hoped to humanize the AIDS crisis and continue his mission that started with his friendship with Pedro Zamora. We may or may not talk about it as depicted in Green Arrow Black Canary, but just as how Denny O'Neill and Kevin Smith's good intentions stumbled in their Oliver Queen runs, Winnick kind of drops the ball here and there too. He's still another cisgendered white dude putting words in the mouth of DC Comics' most angry progressive Oliver Queen, and it's going to get weird and awkward for sure. But for a time, Winnick also makes Oliver Queen the mayor of Star City, a tie-in to the post-Infinite Crisis event one year later, but he's eventually forced to resign when it's revealed that he's been secretly funding the vigilante group known as the Outsiders. He also had an affair with Black Lightning's niece, Joanna. Come
0: on, Oliver!
1: A lawyer who loved to take on corporations and corruptions, and their affair eventually led to her death. Oh my goodness. Another blight on Ollie's character for sure. Uh, When Winnick ended his run on this solo title, he had Ollie propose to Dinah. And guess what? Dinah this time said yes wedding bells. Let's get excited. (laughs) But before we can walk down the aisle, Lisa, we got to talk about our love expert. How is Megan Lundgren going to help these two make it or realize that they shouldn't be together?
0: Yes, our love expert is Megan Lundgren, LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. And the book is The Relationship Book for New Couples, Proven Strategies to Nurture Your Connection and Build a Long-Lasting Bond, published in May 2021 from Rockridge Press. Links
1: in the show notes.
0: The intention of the book outlined in the introduction is to provide evidence-based therapeutic strategies for couples seeking to deepen their level of commitment and build essential relationship skills, which Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance are sorely lacking. I truly feel like we had a breakthrough in our last session with Dinah and Ollie through the use of the four steps. We've already talked about that pattern of behavior where they were actively avoiding tough conversations because they were both so fearful of rejection. Then in the last session, we used an arrow from (laughs) Megan Lundgren's quiver, the four steps, and petwang, progress. We're definitely gonna be reviewing and using those steps in the session today. For sure. Yeah,
1: and as we discussed on our Quiver episode, they helped an argument that we were having in the podcast. So that was that was very helpful for uh, our romance.
0: We've also already talked a little bit about how Oliver and Dinah view the function of a wedding ceremony very differently. And I think for this wedding to take place and actually demarcate a moment of evolution in their relationship, they both have to have a clear understanding of what the ceremony means to the other person and what marriage means for them as a couple because they have not been on the same page with this in the past. Right. And since they have so much history and so much hurt in their past, I'd like to address in this final section how to move forward from hurt by giving them some tools having to do with apologies and forgiveness, because that adage, being in love means never having to say sorry, is not true. (laughs) Brad and I know from firsthand experience as people who are both in love and highly sensitive, apologies should be used liberally. (laughs) But what constitutes a heartfelt apology? According to Megan Lundgren, a good apology has three parts, one, an acceptance of responsibility of the other person's hurt, Mm. two, a commitment to change, and three, Mm. a demonstration of care through change. Note that there is no part 1A, excuses (laughs) and or rationalizations for the behavior. Those can be discussed as part of a relationship, but they're not actually part of the anatomy of an apology Mm. because they undermine the responsibility part And they're more about the apologizer's feelings than the apologizee's feelings. Yeah,
1: I'm nodding my head. I love all of this. This is applicable to so many things. Brad, Mm. do
0: you think you can construct an apology for Oliver? Oh my God. That he could have used when Dinah got offended that he asked her to clean his dirty dishes?
1: Oh, okay, okay. Um,
0: (laughs) Nothing too (laughs) large as our
1: practice run. the, The dirty dishes apology. Okay, I think I can do something here.
0: So part one an acceptance of responsibility for the other person's hurt.
1: Dinah, I am so sorry. I realized by not doing the dishes that I was adding to your stress.
0: Part two, a commitment to change.
1: I can do the dishes in the future. In fact, I will do the next set of dishes. I'll do tonight's dishes.
0: And then your demonstration of care would be actually following (laughs) through on that promise. Look,
1: Dinah, I'm scrubbing and washing the dishes.
0: (laughs) Following an apology is hopefully some forgiveness on the part of the injured party, but there is no actual obligation on the injured party's part to accept the apology. That is part of the humility of apologizing. It's extremely vulnerable, and because you are opening yourself up to negotiation and rejection, which sucks. It's why some people try to avoid apologies. Altogether,
1: And you go into a defense mode, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so easy to go like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, uh, Whenever you feel yourself going into defense, stop, think, go into the head of your partner. What are they seeing in your behavior?
0: Maybe following the apology will be a tough conversation or a renegotiation of boundaries and expectations or the dissolution of the relationship, all of which are not forgiveness. Forgiveness by the injured party is the total faith that the apologizer will deliver on the promised change without any outside reinforcement. Also difficult. Yeah, actually I realized when creating these notes that very often I do not forgive, (laughs) I uphold. So for example, forgiveness on Dinah's part would not look like this. Okay, Oliver, I forgive you for not cleaning up your dishes, but in the meantime, I've had Batman engineer a set of dishes that are synced with an implant that he injected in you in your sleep. If a dish is not cleaned within 15 minutes of being used, you will feel an electric shock.
1: (laughs) Batman would so do that.
0: Or here is another example of lack of forgiveness. Yes, Oliver... I forgive your repeated infidelities, but I will treat you with suspicion and emotional distance from now on. Mm. Actual forgiveness is really, really hard. Sometimes we can earnestly feel that we've forgiven someone, but then something triggers more hurt and more resentment, which instigates more controlling behavior. Like many things in relationships, forgiveness of your partner has to be an ongoing practice. Mm. Equally important in a committed relationship as partner forgiveness is self-forgiveness. But what does self-forgiveness look like? It is the complete faith in oneself to make the needed behavioral changes without the reinforcement of shame.
1: Also incredibly hard. It
0: is very human to hit the shame button as a means of controlling our own behavior. Mm. I'm a bad person, therefore I deserve the restrictions I place on myself. But we know from previous love expert Brene Brown, shame is in actuality a self-centered behavior and not at all constructive in the context of a relationship. We think of Green Arrow as this super- confident guy who can do terrible things and then admit that he's wrong and then bounce back. But what he actually does is create these little shame pockets that he just avoids like the plague. Take the Connor situation as an example. Like, he didn't want to admit that he abandoned his child, so he creates this alternate narrative of, oh, I didn't know that you existed, as a way to kind of give room for his shame to just kind of fester.
1: And he believes that alternate narrative. Like, the the longer he tells that lie to himself, it becomes truth.
0: But as soon as that little shame bubble gets ruptured by extenuating circumstances, all of the sudden, Oliver is just paralyzed right. by his shame. In this final session with Dinah and Ollie, our goal should be to define what a wedding and a marriage means to them in a way that honors them as individuals and their us And we should have our feelers out for opportunities to make heartfelt apologies and practice True forgiveness
1: But before we can do that, Lisa It's time for some Words of affirmation
0: Affirmation (laughs)
1: For first-time listeners, uh, let's explain exactly what the words of affirmation portion of the show is. This is our opportunity to give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. These are the people that keep this podcast going. We curate and use these ourselves. We're always on the hunt for affirmations, and we got these from some interesting sources. (laughs) Uh, Vanilla Sky, Green Arrow, Black Canary Till Death Do They Part, and Freya from Avengers Endgame. I'm really excited about these three affirmations. If you are not one of these patrons, that's okay. They are dedicated to them, but you yourself can use them. So feel free to take these and apply them to your own life.
0: Okay, so it's time to focus our minds, take a deep breath. (sighs) Larky. Every passing minute is another chance for you to turn it all around.
1: Khalid al Jalan. Even in your missteps, there can be found small victories.
0: Charles Phillips. Everyone fails at who they are supposed to be. The measure of a person, of a hero, is how well you succeed at being who you are.
1: Yeah. That's nice. That Freya one at the end there that we gave to Charles, that one, whenever it comes up in Avengers Endgame, Niagara <laughs> Falls.
0: I was a little bit unsure, because it's been on my list of like personal affirmations for a minute, mm-hmm. and I was like, is someone going to resent getting a personal affirmation that is like, you, you have failed? But I think that, that we all have days... That where we feel like we are well, in a small part of it. How
1: about I include a link in the show notes to my article for the, the essay that I did on Avengers Endgame for Film School Rejects called Everyone Fails in mm. Avengers Endgame. And that's what I love about Marvel Comics, and we've talked about this on this podcast, is – it's centered around human failing. And the goal, as Samuel Beckett once said, is to fail, fail again, fail better. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that Freya really captures that idea and sort of crystallizes what's so great about Marvel Comics in that moment with her son, Thor.
0: Yes, do share that article. That is one of my personal favorites. I don't know if you guys know this, but for Film School Rejects, Brad did this massive (laughs) series of every, like doing an essay on every film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading up to Endgame. This needs to be bound into a book.
1: I've been thinking about it. 22 essays, uh, starting with, Yes, Iron Man is Marvel's villain problem, uh, going all the way to everyone fails in Avengers Endgame. I'm, yeah, I'm proud of that. Thank you, Lisa, it for giving a me a tr- plug.
0: It's a tremendous love letter to the <laughs> MCU, and I think it is one of the greatest things you've done to date, in terms of, like, just massive projects.
1: I've peaked. I might as well quit.
0: <laughs> no, it it is, but a, um, uh, like... There's many peaks up to the top of the mountain.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
0: Um, So once again, I'd like to thank our patrons. We understand that it's not feasible for every, every person to be one of our patrons, but there are many ways to support comic book couples counseling, including giving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, just tweeting at us and telling us you're listening. We had a new listener, Jay, tweet at us to tell us that he had spent a whole day listening to our podcast yeah. it really made our day. Uh,
1: yeah, made our day big time. Got emotional reading that tweet, actually. And, you know, just sharing this episode that you're listening right now, uh, sharing that with your friends uh, would be so cool of you. So thank you. Thank you to all of you who support Comic Book Couples Counseling and who keep coming back to listening to Brad and Lisa ramble on. We love you. Even more so than how much we love Green Arrow and Black <laughs> (laughs)
0: Great transition.
1: Yeah, so okay, let's let's get into session. This week we're discussing the Green Arrow Black Canary wedding special, as well as all 14 issues of the Green Arrow Black Canary series, written by Judd Winnick, illustrated by Amanda Connor, Cliff Chang, Mike Norton, Andre Coelho, Wayne Falker, and Rodney Ramos. Colored by Paul Mounts, Patricia Malville, and David Barron, and lettered by Ken Lopez. Paul Brasso, Travis Lanham, and Jared K. Fletcher. Oh, and a few more. There's still a few more. <laughs> Steve Wands and Sal uh, Capriano. Capriano? I
0: would say Cipriano.
1: Cipriano. Uh, man, a lot of people on this book, uh, mostly you know the the letterers and the colorers, because the art is fairly consistent. Through the series. Like, and um, fun. Oh, it's so good. And like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the wedding special, but like Amanda Connor's art, that cheesecake art in the wedding special, what a perfect pairing with these characters in particular. Agreed. Uh so here's the basic plot of this massive arc that is taken off of the Till Death Do They Part trade paperback. A superhero wedding. What could go wrong? Green Arrow and Black Canary tie the knot, but it's not quite happily ever after as a shocking wedding night leads to unpredictable adventure. Boy, howdy. (laughs) Uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary are one of the most iconic couples in superhero comics. And in 2007, they finally decided to make it official and walk down the aisle with shocking results. Still true. In fact, Black Canary didn't marry Green Arrow at all, Oh, they're going to spoil it on the back of the book. This is terrible. But a rather villainous double. So where's Oliver Queen? The question kickstarts the Green Arrow and Black Canary series, written by all the people we've already talked about. Uh, Black Canary, Speedy, and Connor Hawk, Ollie's son, and the former Green Arrow embark on a mission to find the real Green Arrow. But if... It isn't one green arrow in trouble. It's another, as Cotter is mortally wounded by the League of Assassins. They're putting the whole book on the back of this book. Can Batman and Plastic Man assist in saving his life? Romance meets adventure in this series starring one of DC's most iconic duos that is f giving this <laughs> this blurb an f
0: i love how in the beginning they're being the most vague about <laughs> the like the consequences the very predictable consequences right. of what happens at the actual wedding but then they do one by one, reveal all of the surprises. Yeah,
1: yeah. So he's been killed. They reveal that uh, a double took over Oliver Queen. Uh, they reveal that Plastic Man is a surprise in this book. Fail. It's so that's so disappointing. Uh, I love how we don't read these plot synopsis we until don't. we record the episode, uh, and I'm just I'm aghast, uh, <laughs> listeners. We wow. record
0: under the conceit that uh, our listeners know the story. Yeah, and yeah. And that's why. We do the plot synopsis. Yeah,
1: but man. But that's... still,
0: just principles. Uh, my principles are offended by this. I've
1: got my wagging finger out to DC. He does. Ugh, ugh. Uh, all right, Lisa. So we're gonna start with the wedding special. Um, and when I began this comic, maybe like two pages in, I was in love with what was going on with this particular issue. Okay, tell me the story. Well, it works so well as a starter kit for the relationship between Dinah and Ollie. I think you could pick this book up having never read any of the previous adventures and get the gist within those first two pages, right? It begins with their beginning, back with Justice League of America. And by the third panel of the first page, it establishes that there is this insane animal attraction Mm -hmm. between the two and that it is mutual. So I don't think that that oversexed quality of their characters was there in the Denny O'Neill stories that we first covered, but through retconning, they've made this like critical to their relationship. And I like that. I like that Green Arrow and Dinah Lance are like the horniest DC couple.
0: (laughs) And I like the fact that it's a means of justifying why they continue to come together, even though Green Arrow repeatedly betrays her. (laughs) And,
1: And in the first three pages of this issue, we see this cycle played out. They do the whole backstory, they cover the longbow hunters, they cover the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, uh, they cover the quiver stuff. They cover the Melzer stuff, uh, and and so, you 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 enter it three pages. It's all recapping. It's all well told. Mm-hmm. Like sequentially, it's interesting to read, and then you turn to the fourth page, and it's this splash of Dinah and Ollie screaming at each other. And they are outlined in a big cartoon heart with cupids firing arrows at them. And that is a cliche that Ollie and Dinah continually navigate where like their arguments lead to hot sex. Mm -hmm. But as told here, as a culmination of who they are before they walk down the aisle, it's just, it's cheap but effective.
0: I think what they're doing is acknowledging some of the things that an outside person might think is like um, wrong with their characters. The yeah. fact that they repeat this cycle, the fact that they continue to get together. You know, it's they're they're saying like, we see it. Yeah. We yeah. see this tight spiral of yeah. their relationship and it's just kind we just kind of have to acknowledge that that's how they operate.
1: So if these two were your friends, like every time you would see them argue or what or you know, uh Dinah would go back to Ollie or whatever, you would be like, oh, these guys, why are they they should just break up already or whatever. But now they're getting married and they send out these invitations to their friends and the Justice League react the way that we would if they were our friends, you know? We're like, uh, they're getting married? Really? <laughs> That's not gonna last. Oh, good for them. You know, like, I, I love the reaction that the League gets to receiving their invitations.
0: There is one more thing I wanna talk about, about that opening montage mm. of their relationship. Um, it goes back to one of our previous love experts, Dr. John Gottman, in his love lab, finding that the most predictive thing of a couple staying together is how they tell their narrative. Mm. If they tell their narrative in a defeatist way of Mm. like, I don't see this working out. We're just not a good match. We're not meant to be. Odds are that couple is not going to stay together, but a couple that sees the tough times in their marriage as bumps on the road, like we had tough times, but together we made it through.
1: And we're stronger because of those tough times.
0: Exactly. Her one line that says like, even in the missteps, there were small victories. Uh, For me personally, that is that glimmer of hope. She does have this faith in their coupling that gets underscored throughout this entire arc.
1: I totally agree, and that's the other thing that I like about these three pages that introduce the wedding special, is if you looked at their relationship just based on how we viewed them in our first three episodes, you would go like, ah, you know, you you would say what we said at the beginning of this episode, like, ah, I'm not, you know, will they make it?
0: But- I even I in previous episodes go like, they should break up. Right.
1: Yes. 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 They do not work. But. As filtered through these three pages, it puts you in a warm place mm-hmm. for this couple, even though when you turn the page, it goes to that cliche of them arguing, right? Like, nothing is going to stamp out that fire between these two. If these two are going to continue to be a couple, they will always kind of fall back into this pattern of like scream anger arguments.
0: But I think that this particular arc does satisfy some previous arguments in previous arcs that we have covered on this podcast, namely the Longbow Hunters, them talking about marriage and Black Canary going like, I am never interested in getting married. I don't think that that is um, the direction our, our, our relationship is going. And here they are sending out wedding invitations. For me, this is a marker of change and progress and evolution.
1: Yes, but also highlighting the comedy behind their internal conflict, right? So what are these two actually arguing about before the invitations get sent out? It's not the invitations. Mm -mm. It's not about getting married. It's about how, well, Green Arrow is mad at how Black Canary upstaged him in the middle of vigilante combat. They were out there busting some thugs. And before he got to his trick arrows, she busted out her sonic scream and put an end to the fight. And that was like totally emasculating to him.
0: hmm Green Arrow is shouting, it's the arrow, then the canary cry. That's the order, that's how we play it. And Black Canary is like, what difference does it make? But then, Remember in previous episodes, we talk about how like emotions have layers. Mm-hmm. So when a, an emotion returns, all of a sudden, you are arguing about every single time you've had that emotion. Right. And then we get this layering of every other argument they've ever had. So Black Canary goes into like, this is all about your masculine need to take charge. You're threatening my autonomy. You know, this is why we shouldn't vigilante together. It doesn't work. And he starts Slut shaming her and going <laughs> like, "Well, why don't we just call one of your other dance partners, like Hawkman or Ra's Al Ghul uh-huh. or the U.S. Navy?" He
1: is such an a-hole. He's Where a bad does he dude. get off?
0: First. He's a
1: bad guy. Like,
0: Slut shaming. Uh, uh, yeah, bar canary. yeah,
1: and then that's when she smacks him. And then they get it on.
0: Actually, they don't get it on. And that initiates another argument. But I'd like to take a moment. Well, they're
1: about to get it on. They start (laughs) ripping their clothes off. (laughs)
0: That's right. I want to return to our relationship expert and four steps this argument about the order in which their vigilante encounters should happen. Okay,
1: so step one is I need to name the emotion.
0: That's right, that so I'm you're feeling. gonna be Oliver.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I assumed I was Oliver. I was. I assumed I was the jerk. <laughs> um, yeah, so in this instant, naming the emotion would be like, when you uh, sidestep my trick arrows with your sonic scream, you make me feel unneeded.
0: And then step two would be to call out the destructive coping mechanism that you want to
1: use. Well, so, I mean, what I want to use is defensive blaming, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. You know, you messed up, you know, you, it's your fault. Like, that's not the order of things.
0: So now you name what is true. What is true in the moment? Well, what
1: I know is true is that I love you, Mm -hmm. Dinah, and I know that we, uh, do a great job of kicking butt, and we did smash those hoods together. Like together, we're still effective, even if y- you you oh, you you made me feel unneeded.
0: So so what <laughs> what do you want the outcome of this conversation to be?
1: Well, if I'm Oliver, I I still want to have an opportunity to use my skills in combat, even though clearly I am not necessary to busting hoods. Black Canary can do it all on her own, but if we are going to do this together, Dinah, I'd like to do this together.
0: Okay, so now it's my turn, so I will be Dinah. When you always go first, when we're facing criminals, I get the, I feel the criminals think that I am, of less value than you, that I am your sidekick when in actuality I am the more superpowered being, excuse me for saying that, you know? <laughs> and I just feel like narratively I am being, I'm being downplayed in, in a fight. And what it makes me want to do is um, distance. Like, I don't wanna have this conversation with you because I know that both of our feelings are going to get hurt.
1: Which is why you always threaten to go fight on your own. Like, we should not do this together. We don't work well together because I, my fifis get hurt. But
0: the truth is, we do really enjoy spending time together. When we're both clicking out out on the streets, being vigilantes, it is such a high for me. I find it so fun, but I can't like I can't just follow your playbook all of the time because you know it makes me feel constricted. It makes me feel like my options aren't open, and it makes me feel like I don't have choices. And you know how I am about my autonomy. I like to be able to control things every once in a while.
1: So maybe when we go out uh, hunting uh, th- hoods. We should trade off.
0: Mm, I do like that plan.
1: (laughs) Okay, all right. I I do also think, now this is Brad speaking, not Oliver. Uh, I do think that what this argument shows is that they still need to address Oliver's resentment for the men that have been in Dinah's life. And, you know... Oliver needs to acknowledge all the women that have been a part of their (laughs) lives. Like they need to put those past relationships in the past. They need to really move beyond that.
0: But I feel like, you know, arguments come up all of the time in relationships, even for us where we don't have anything nearly as dysfunctional as Dinah and Ollie. And you really do have to prioritize the moment sometimes. Like this argument is not about both of their relationship history. This argument is about how they want to vigilante. Yeah. And so by using the four steps to be grounded in the present, it spares them right. pulling off every argument layer by layer in this like painful or just you know boning.
1: Right, which, again, is part of their argument pattern that we saw explicitly in Quiver and the Longbow Hunters.
0: Which can be seen as mutual positive reinforcement for their argument pattern. Like, we know that an argument can lead to this really satisfying sexual yes. experience.
1: They like that. They like that, they, and re- readers like that.
0: But Dinah manipulates this situation, I think, to ultimately win the argument because one of the destructive coping mechanisms is control, right? Mm. Um, Their argument is about who gets to control the situation on the battlefield. So she's like, okay, on this battlefield, I'm going to control the situation. I want to save myself from this point on. Till our wedding day. I want to abstain. abstain.
1: And this notion does something that no other writer has done for them. It acknowledges their pattern and stops that pattern. And so it does feel like a moment of growth.
0: Is it a moment of growth or is it just a moment of change? So right now I'm listening to Malcolm Gladwell's new book about Paul Simon. This is going somewhere. (laughs) And um, Paul Simon talks about writer's block on the Dick Cavett show by saying, like, Dick Dick Cavett goes, like, well, how do you know that you're having writer's block? And he goes, like, well, I look at all of my options, and I don't like where any of them are going. I'm stuck, you know? And I think that, like, by her disrupting this pattern, she's forcing change. She goes, like, we've done this many, many times. I don't like where it's going. I don't like any of our options, but let's at least do something different.
1: And that you don't think that's a growth of some kind?
0: I I think that it is I think that it's a lateral move towards something different. I think that and I think that ultimately that is good. Just to put a button on the idea of abstaining before marriage. I like the way that it is covered in this book because I think a lot of people consider abstaining before marriage to be like this sacred thing, like this holy thing that goes like, well, all of our sex up until this point has been bad and sinful and not sacred. And so I'm going to create this gap and then we can have that really good sacred holy sex of (laughs) marital sex. And I think here it's literally doing what it, what, what abstaining before marriage actually is, which is a kink, you're you're building anticipation. This is tantric,
1: this is a tantric experience for Canary. And uh, theoretically, it would have been also <laughs> for Ollie, uh, but then another thing happens. And
0: he's not really there. Yeah, and so,
1: I mean, it does actually extend further into the Black Canary, Green Arrow series. So when they do finally consummate their marriage, it's sex
0: on a boat, which is the most beautiful marriage, <laughs> mari- marital sex you can have.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that means I have something to look forward to <laughs> in my future. Uh, now, just getting back to that climactic argument not climaxing and Ollie going to have a cold shower Mm -hmm. Uh, I I just want to throw more props to Amanda Connor we've seen so many great illustrators take on these characters and Cliff Chang who launches the main book is amazing as well but there's something about Amanda Connor's cartooning that truly captures the character work of Ollie and Dinah you know, there is the cute and the sexy, but there is also the conflict and the confusion. Uh, there, they, that, that push and that pull that these two characters have sexually is displayed in a way that other artists really have not captured. And maybe that comes from the fact that Amanda Connor is a bit of a cheesecake artist.
0: I think that her art is the most... It's the consummation of skill and empathy. Like Mm. I think that um, the expressions her characters make are so true to life and the fact that she has that understanding within her for the expression that they would make and then her ability to then portray that using ink is amazing.
1: It's the exaggeration to hit authenticity, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's a moment later on between Wonder Woman and Superman and I've never quite seen Clark or Kal-El illustrated the way that she does here where he is such a Mm goody-goody and it's all in his smile, which is like a little dumb, but also...
0: Idealistic.
1: Idealistic, which I guess is what idealism is. It's a little dumb, but Mm -hmm. lovely.
0: Now, following that cold shower is the argument that I really do feel like is the heart of at least the beginning of this arc. And it is that Dino wants to have an enormous wedding with every hero she knows that wears a costume invited and she wants them all to show up in costume. I mean, if
1: you knew Superman and Batman, you would want them in costume at your wedding.
0: But I do understand where Ollie is coming from, going like, isn't that a little like fetishistic? (laughs) Yes. Um, And what he wants is a really private, solemn, earnest ceremony. And I think that it comes down to, uh, they both have a different outcome in mind for what this ceremony is going to mean for Mm -hmm. them as a couple for For Dinah, it's this idea of like, we need something to celebrate about. We are always having funerals or getting together for enormous battles. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we all show up as our best, strongest selves, as our heroes, In one place to do something that is just joyful and happy.
1: And she wins me over with that conversation.
0: Me too. Like, I I completely understand where she is coming from as well, which is what makes this argument so good. Both sides are ultimately, like, relatable.
1: And the comic does also give them the intimate wedding later in the series.
0: Exactly. But I think for Dinah at this point, the way she views the ceremony actually hasn't changed that much from the Longbow Hunters. Like, for her, it's a celebration of the status quo. We are together, we are choosing to stay together, and this ceremony will be a monument in an, like, of our steadfastness, but it doesn't, it isn't like, and after this point, things will be different. Like, for her, I think it's after this point, things will be the same. Where I feel like with Oliver, he feels like-
1: He's looking for a rite of passage.
0: He's Yeah, he's looking for a deepening. Yeah. He's looking for a marker of like, now we can really build something. Like, I think that he doesn't see what they have now as a foundation for growth. But I think over the course of this arc, they both see each other's point of view Um, not through any kind of revelation, but gradually they begin to see where each other is coming from and that, and this idea of that third identity of usness becomes even more realized. Right,
1: right. But this is a superhero comic with a superhero wedding. And if you are going to gather the Justice League of America and then some, you're also going to be inviting a lot of trouble. And Dr. Savannah, the Captain Marvel slash Shazam villain, he gets a hold of an invitation as well because he steals it from Snapper Carr, who's a real idiot <laughs> uh, and Death's stroke and a bunch of bad guys crash the wedding. And I love the way they do it is that they launch a bunch of nukes that all the superheroes with the superheroing realize, and they have to leave the ceremony to go save the world. And when all the big players leave the wedding, that's when the villains crash. And so it becomes like this street fight in the altar.
0: And ultimately what happens, though we don't find out until way later, is that during the melee, every man switches himself out for Green Arrow and Green Arrow is then a captive. So he's not present for the actual ceremony part of the wedding. And then on the wedding night, they go to consummate. Every man, Green Arrow, starts attacking Dinah and Dinah ends up killing whom she believes to be her husband and Green Arrow is dead again.
1: Yeah, so they're in the middle of of their lovemaking and she has to take this arrow and jab it through his neck. And so if you had not read the back of this trade paperback, if you had never read the issues that come after this, what you have just watched is a horrific climax to the wedding special, and it's absolutely confusing, and it's so good. I was so excited when we got to that moment because it is so upsetting.
0: It is gut-wrenching, especially considering that she's already experienced the death of Oliver Queen a few times. So now the main series is started, and it's about Black Canary going like, I don't think that Oliver's dead. And various members of the Justice League <laughs> having slightly different views on that. Ultimately, he is not dead. She gets the satisfaction of being correct, married to the satisfaction of her husband being alive. It's gotta be the best feeling ever. And she finds out that Oliver Queen is being held captive on the Mascara because they want... Black Canary to become one of the Amazons and to train the Furies.
1: It's an extremely exciting start to this new series because it's a jailbreak on Paradise Island, right? And ultimately, it amounts to very little because everything that's going on on Paradise Island, Themyscira is wrapped up in this other DC event and Granny Goodness shows up at one point. You're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna get new gods, but that doesn't actually have anything to do with the rest of Green Arrow, Black Canary. And when I discovered that was not going to come back, I was so disappointed, but whatever, whatever. The actual adventure is fun and it's a great bonding opportunity for like what I'm gonna call the Arrow Gang, Mm -hmm. Speedy, Connor, The the family, right? And the other thing that this series does these early issues is it positions Dinah Lance as co-star of the book. Before the Green Arrow Black Canary series, Dinah was always a supporting player to the Green Arrow comic. But now we see truly these two characters on the same level. And she is dominating the Amazons. And that is very thrilling. And, you know, Oliver is the damsel in distress for the first chunk of this comic.
0: And as the damsel, we get to hear him have the ultimate faith in his wife to be the hero. Because Black Canary has this ongoing insecurity about like, it's kind of meta because she's like, I'm this powerful being and yet I'm always feeling like the sidekick. I feel like Oliver doesn't respect me. He wants to sideline me. And here, Oliver is in a cage, and he's not going, wait until my friend Hal Jordan shows up. Or wait until my co-Justice League member Superman shows up. He tells the Amazons, wait until my wife shows up. And I think that there's two layers to that. like Because we know he wasn't at... The ceremony part of the wedding. Yeah. But in his mind, he goes, he's thinking like Dinah. Like at the wedding, we actually didn't matter. We were just two symbols. And it was the coming together that yeah. mattered. And the coming together still happened. Therefore, we are in fact married. Yeah.
1: In their heads, they're married.
0: And it also establishes. That no matter how powerful his other friends are, it is Black Canary that is his hero.
1: And she and Connor and Speedy rescue Oliver from mascara. They get on that boat. They consummate that marriage on that boat. Don't be jealous, Brad. It is a rockin'. Don't come a-knockin'. <laughs> and then, shots fired, Connor is seemingly killed or at least he's mortally wounded and he would die on that boat if they weren't able to capture Clark Kent's ear and Superman comes swooping in and races Connor to the hospital.
0: At the hospital, Connor's life is saved, but there was some kind of poison on the bullet and he ends up in this extended coma. And while Connor is in a coma, we get to see Dinah, bear the burden of Oliver's grief. Like in a relationship, there are times where you have to create room for your partner to not function. And it means like taking on more responsibility and being in a little bit more of a pressure cooker while the other person can grieve or yeah. you know, whatever whatever work that they need to get done personally.
1: We call that in our relationship holding the spoons. Sometimes Lisa needs to hold the spoons for bread.
0: And that's part of any committed relationship that you don't mind bearing the burden of the other person because you know you have faith that. If the situation was reversed, they will support you. And in a long relationship, that opportunity will come. Yeah. Exactly. So we have this scene where it is Connor's birthday, and Oliver has not left his son's side. And he's processing a lot of shame for
1: abandoning him. And remember, like, we now know, thanks to the Meltzer run, that. He was aware of Connor since birth. And for most of Connor's life, he stayed as far away as possible. And now his son is going to die. And it like, that shame is killing Oliver.
0: So it's up to Black Canary to spearhead solving the mystery of who shot Connor. But by Dinah giving Oliver that space, he does reach a new new point of peace, with what he has done to Connor and she walks in on him at the end of his confession of every wrong he did to his son and she assures him in that moment like you are making it right what you are doing for Connor right now when he is at his most vulnerable is you doing better and growing as a person and Oliver goes like well you know it's not enough. I have not yet done enough. And Dinah says, like, we together as a unit are going to do enough. And um, Oliver is continuing to spiral. He says, like, you know, like, you don't get it. I am not going to be Green Arrow anymore. What I want to do is, as a man, is be a father. And support my family. And Dinah gets the most peculiar, sweet expression. And in that moment, she proposes to him. And she says, marry me. And they end up having a private, plain clothed ceremony with Wonder Woman officiating. And Oliver gets his traditional vows. Now, do I think it's 100% equal, considering that he was not at the actual ceremony part? Um, No, but I do think that this is Dinah realizing that what Oliver wants is a witness, is a partner in him being a better man. Yeah. And she sees that a ceremony for him is not a symbol, it's a step. Right. And she wants to help him take that step.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so they take that step and then someone steps into Connor's bedroom and steals <laughs> his body. And the rest of the comic is now we got to find Connor's body.
0: And we do actually witness more of Dinah kind of bearing that load, um, and and doing a lot of managing of Oliver's temper in a very diplomatic, non judgmental, giving way. And we also get to see a bonding and a deepening of it's It's very fast and furious of the Arrow family. Yeah. You really do get the sense that Mia and Roy and Connor are now because of this private ceremony, Black Canary and Green Arrows children. Yeah. And I love this as a compliment to going back to that longbow hunters bedroom scene where Dinah is saying, I cannot have a family. I cannot have children. I shouldn't be making babies. Yeah. And Oliver going like, "Well, I don't feel like I'm in a relationship unless I have I'm raising children." And they've
1: They've done it. They've
0: done it. They've, they've done it. And it's a reflection of their usness. Uh, right. She has not born children, but they are now Kind of mentoring and fostering these—they're
1: parenting. Yeah, they're they are parenting. parenting for these few. Uh, it also goes back to the long hunt, longbow hunters. Lisa with Shadow and Ollie's other kid,
0: Robert. Robert, yeah.
1: who does not get the love from Ollie uh, that that Connor and Roy receive, and the comic does not acknowledge that fact, and it, it is weird.
0: I think that you know, like. As a comic book couple's counselor, <laughs> that is a pus filled <laughs> boil of shame that is still in, honor, uh, in Oliver's sphere. Yeah. That is ultimately going to have to be addressed, yeah. but there's only so much you can do in a session. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's just, it's weird to me that this book ramps up to Oliver being a true father to Connor the way that he was to Roy, who was not biological, while also bringing back Robert and Shadow and not doing any Mm -hmm. kind of work there to solve the hurt in in that history.
0: There is one scene where they've just um, rescued both Robert and Connor from Dr. Sivana and, they're both sitting in the hold of this vessel that we're not going to get into, but um, they're both holding their sons, Pieta like, yeah. sitting so far apart. There's just so much like physical distance, yeah. And, which for me parallels like the emotional distance. Yeah. I think like a lot of work has to be done by shadow before they are ready to co-parent Robert? If that's something that she's even open to? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, yes, yes. But again, it's just like, you know, I would love, you know, I I know we don't want to talk about like what is going on in the writer's head, but I would like to talk to Judd Winnick about what he thought he was doing when he brings Robert back in while trying to mend the relationship between Oliver and Connor.
0: Yeah, there is like um, a glaring hypocrisy there that is kind of uh, Shrugs
1: McGee. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like Oliver is a complicated character with a lot of awfulness in his past that he is ashamed of. And this book does a lot to address a bunch of that. But that is just something where like it's just... It just hangs over. It's this giant shadow over the entire book, no pun intended.
0: But I think as counselors here in session, we have given Oliver all of the <laughs> tools that Megan Lundgren has to offer, and maybe he could do some of this work on his own.
1: Yeah, and so uh, like, just to like wrap up what the plot of the comic is, mm-hmm. so Dr. Savannah... Uses the opportunity that is created when every man replaces Oliver back in the wedding to steal Connor and also to steal Plastic Man and create an army of super soldiers from their DNA.
0: Which actually gets taken care of off panel, but we don't have to worry about them, uh, we don't
1: think. And, And so, like, you know, the comic starts off with this incredible mystery of why did Oliver turn on Black Canary on their wedding night? And then it resolves it with the most uninteresting plot or scheme.
0: Yeah, but for, for me- um,
1: It's not about the plots or schemes. Yeah, it's
0: about the characters.
1: Yeah, and establishing them as a family like you've been talking about. And so when they get Connor back and because of all of Savannah's tinkerings with his brain, he, he does recover from his initial injury. But- he also doesn't quite have the faculties that he once did. He cannot shoot. He's not as great an archer. Uh, and so he wants to prove himself. And so he goes out into the night and tries to pick up some fights. And Oliver has to, like, rescue him and go like, oh, maybe you're rushing here. Let's. This is a slow process. But Connor's so frustrated, he doesn't want to take it easy. And what you see in Connor is Ollie behavior. And so Ollie gets to recognize himself in his son and try to give him guidance the way that no one ever gave Ollie guidance.
0: And the arc actually ends kind of where Black Canary and Green Arrow began between the sheets. Yeah. Um, Oliver is looking out the window and and is telling Dinah, like, I wish I could just make Connor's life easier for him. Like, I wish as a father, I could carry some of his burden. And she says, like, you want everything to be easy for everyone in our family. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's also an impossible thing. But we can try to do this. Together. Together. And then um, he says, like, he's looking deep into her eyes, and he says, like, after the last few months, thanks for not going all the way till to death do us part. Mm. So thank you for when you thought I was dead, not going like, okay, marriage (laughs) over. Thank goodness we made it. Success. Um, But actually continuing our relationship and continuing to reach for me and look for me. Yeah. And so. And then they initiate sex.
1: Of course. Uh, You read this book and this comic really does feel like a progression in a way that uh, Longbow Hunters was not or Quiver was not. You know, it took them through moments of their lives and it put them in different places. But this one leaves you at a place where you're like, okay, Like, you know, they've got issues still. They have a lot to work out. We could do four more episodes on Green Arrow and Black Canary for this podcast. We could probably do a Green Arrow, Black Canary spin-off podcast, frankly. But what we have here is a unit that is functioning in a way that it wasn't at the end of Quiver.
0: They have leveled up.
1: Yes, they've leveled up. Oh, yeah, perfect phrase. Now, I do think that... When Cliff Chang leaves the book and Mike Norton takes on, and Mike Norton's a great artist, but the comic also becomes so heavy on the plots and schemes, it does retract from Black Canary and Green Arrow's relationship being a focus, and it does become less interesting to me. So I think like the first half of this comic is exceptional, and the back half is fine.
0: We've mentioned in this episode that in previous sessions with... Dinah and Ollie, we've gone like, I don't think this I don't think this relationship works right. How do you feel about Dinah and Oliver now after reading this particular narrative? Well,
1: I mean, you know, if you're gonna be like, let's divine their future, like are they gonna make it as a couple based on what we have experienced in these four episodes? I, I mean, I don't know if I could answer that. I do know that I like them a lot as a couple. And what I like about them, is that collection of mistakes that they have accumulated over their relationship time. And I think that they offer a lot of relatability. Uh, now, thankfully, you know, our relationship has never plummeted to the depths that their relationship has. But because this is a melodrama, it is an opportunity to uh, witness our Emotions, which in the heat of battle, in the heat of relationship battle, feel so intense. We do get to see those heated, intense emotions played out in superhero comics. And so I think that Green Arrow and Black Canary fulfill that uh, narrative necessity exceptionally. And I will read any Green Arrow, Black Canary comic book going forward.
0: Same. And I have collected
1: a ton of them (laughs) over the last month.
0: I think something that you said early in the session really rings true. Like, they acknowledged the the cycle. Black Canary goes like, our arguments always end in sex. Let's just try something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, as long as they continue to acknowledge those cycles and choose to do something differently, their relationship will continue to grow.
1: Yeah, and I think that they see themselves as a couple. Like, I think it is part of their identity, the way that us being a couple is a part of our identity. And when you get to that place, you can get through a lot of pain.
0: I also relate to their frustration of having the same argument. Like... Um, You you know, like Brad and I will have a fight and a conversation where I am not forgiving. I go like, (laughs) okay, um, I feel wronged. You feel wronged. Let's create some new rules. Let's put in some more reinforcements and then oh my goodness, I can't believe after all of those reinforcements and structures we put in place, we're arguing about this again? And I, you know, those can, in the moment, feel really defeating. Like, right. what is the point of all of this work that we're doing if we are going to argue again?
1: Yeah, and retreat on old arguments.
0: Exactly, and yeah. go back to those old destructive coping mechanisms, but it just goes back to like, hey, at least we're trying like going back to that idea of the narrative, I see this as a bump in the road. I see this as an obstacle that we can overcome together. But there's
1: still a road.
0: Exactly, and I, and I see a road for Black Canary, Green Arrow after this arc where I haven't in the
1: past. So you're already kind of speaking to this, Lisa, but like what are you pulling out of their relationship and out of these four episodes to apply to your own life?
0: I'm definitely appreciating of the acknowledgement of cycles and relationships, and that you do have to break the cycle sometimes and just do something that's mm-hmm. different, even if it is, a lateral move, like, ooh, my destructive coping mechanism is distance, why don't I try controlling? Like, at least it's something. Um, uh, Something that I picked up from Megan Lundgren in this particular episode is, and we didn't really cover it that much in session, is the idea of forgiveness being a hands-off Um, negotiation, Mm. not negotiation, but like, like when you forgive someone, you do have to let go. Yeah. Put the locus of control in the other person, which me as an individual, I have a hard time doing.
1: Well, I mean, I think forgiveness is one of the hardest acts, you know, because to forgive someone is to then let go of all the hurt that they have caused in you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that takes a lot of work. And even when you say like, oh, I forgive you, which you should do and you should take those steps, it might take a few more days, a few more years, uh, you know, another decade before you truly let go of that hurt.
0: Maybe like saying the words of forgiveness first, because Brad and I had an argument recently, not big, and we don't have to get get into it. Um, But Which one? Which one? uh, Do do you remember, because quote unquote ended with me saying, I forgive you, but then creating distance yeah, yeah, by yeah. like going into the bedroom and getting a couple more really good pout minutes but, in there. But
1: you were practicing forgiveness, right? So you were you were stating your intention. Yes. And I think with forgiveness, you have to put it out there and then work to get there.
0: Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Like the verbal contract, even if you don't deliver on it immediately, is valuable. Yeah. Just saying like the words, okay, I forgive you, but my grip, my grip on my emotion and my grip on wanting to control and my grip on wanting to punish takes a couple, it takes a little while to loosen.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know, we, you know, it didn't, the argument didn't end there, but it did eventually end that evening, that's, like that's an hour right. later.
0: And I think that Black Canary really is a beacon of forgiveness, where she does go like, she's never put it, as far as I know, in the arcs that we read, put a tracker on Green Arrow, or (laughs) (laughs) like, we have seen her create some emotional distance from Mm -hmm. the hurt, like going like, I can't hang with you for a little bit, you know? But like, she does go back to square zero with, with Oliver Queen again, and again, and there are ways and there are days and there are episodes where I've gone like, this is a character flaw. Like Dinah Lance is becoming a doormat mm-hmm. and she's allowing Oliver to step on her again and again. But I think that where I'm feeling right now, I'm a, I'm in an, a little bit more of a generous place, a little bit more of a nostalgic place because we are leaving this couple, um, going like, actually her ability to forgive is extraordinary and is a superpower and I think is ultimately an extension of her generosity.
1: Yeah, yeah, awesome. I think for me, what I have learned are these four steps mm. from Megan Lundgren. You know, I've used them now a couple times. We did here on this episode, but I think they are incredibly helpful. And, you know, the language isn't as evocative as say the five love languages. It's not as easy to remember. So I do feel like I need to have a card next to me. And when I say like, I do feel like I need to, I he actually- does. I have a card next to me that says, name the emotion. Call yourself out. Name the destructive coping mechanism you're using. What is true about your moment in this argument? And then respond rather than react. And I think like having that little note, like if I put that in my wallet uh, so that I could recall it would be very helpful.
0: Uh, I'm just imagining um, in the future, us getting gearing up, loading (laughs) up for an argument, and then you going into your wallet and taking out the sticky note and going like, Am I going to be able to get it, be generous in that moment and go like, don't you dare four steps on me? Uh, I, <laughs> hope,
1: I hope I hope do do that, uh-huh. all right? And I want my listeners to hold me accountable. Ask me on Twitter in the future if I have used the four steps, if I have pulled this out. And I've got the paper he right here. I'm gonna fold it up right now. My wallet is across the room, so I'm not gonna go get it this second. But I am gonna put it in my wallet, and I want you to ask me if I ever use these again. I, I hope and I think I will. Yeah. So yeah, we have to let Ollie and Dinah go for now and move on to our next couple. Uh, But and guys, oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, So next week, this this is nuts. Uh, We're gonna have another Creator Corner episode. Uh, Last week we talked to Mark Wade, and this week we are indeed talking to Scott Snyder. About his Best Jacket Press comicsology collaborations. Comics like We Have Demons, Clear, and Night of the Ghoul. Scott Snyder is coming on Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. What? Wild. Wild. Uh, but also next week, we are going to be dropping a special crossover episode into your feed as well. We are teaming up with the 10 Cent Takes podcast to discuss the Image Comics, Valiant Comics, Mega Event, Deathmate.
0: That episode is already in the can. Yeah. And uh, you guys are really, we had too much fun. <laughs>
1: too much fun talking about that very, very strange comic book which does have a central romance between Solar Man of the Atom and Void from Wildcats, (laughs) and their love births the Deathmate universe, and we get into it. And that episode actually serves as a really radical springboard into our next couple series, we are going to be covering The Second Life of Dr. Mirage, the Valiant comic. And look, I'm sure most of you listening have not read this series. It's from the 90s. It is a classic Valiant book. But the comics are available on Comixology. Uh, We got them off of eBay. There's only 18 issues. We got them for less than 20 bucks, all 18 of them. And I think they are really fascinating, and the couple that stars in the book, Gwen and Carmen, are unlike any other superhero comic book couple. Uh, And I'm really excited to introduce them to Lisa and to have this conversation. And yeah, it's not going to be four episodes. We're coming to the end of the year. It's going to be two episodes devoted to the second life of Dr. Mirage before we go into our big end of the year, best comic books of 2021 episode. And wow, it's just been, it's been a phenomenal year guys. I I don't want it to be over, but I also want it to be (laughs) over. Uh, Yeah.
0: Even with the year we have, uh, next week is Thanksgiving week. And I think it's a great opportunity to practice gratitude. Yes. We have so much to be thankful for. So
1: much to be thankful for. Uh, At the top of the list is you guys. Uh, Thank you for keeping this podcast going. Thank you for interacting with us online. Um, thank you for giving us couple suggestions because we are going to be going into a new year. We need new couples to talk about. So if there are couples that you think we have to have on the show in 2022, we want to hear about them from you. Tweet at us at CBCC podcast, email the podcast, uh, podcast at gmail.com.
0: Okay, Brad, jump onto the back of my motorcycle. Brum, brum. <laughs> We're going to ride into battle where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, including our new show poster, which is based on Cliff Chang's epic, till death do they part cover for the Green Arrow Black Canary series, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, Mm -hmm. you can join our Patreon where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes.
1: Sandman, issue by issue, we just hit number 12. I loved it. It's Sandman versus Sandman, poor little ghost. But if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast, at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast.
0: You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
1: So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport open.
1: Going to the chapel and we're gonna, gonna get, get married. Go Going uh, to let's the chapel. let's do the singing again. No I, I didn't like it, like it. now. No. So-